So this idea of the trilemma, which was very apt when it came out because these were the things that needed to be solved at the time, is today outdated. There's much more to getting a blockchain to work. Uh, so let's discuss the seven things that need to happen for blockchains to really work. Welcome to the DeFi podcast, where we attempt to imagine the future of crypto because foresight is what makes great investors. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment. All statements made by hosts or guests are strictly beliefs or point of views and are not recommendations to buy, sell, or hold any security. Hosts or guests may hold certain securities discussed in this podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the DeFi Podcast. This week, we're talking about our case for Avalanche. It's going to be Jared and I. We think this is going to be an important episode. So let's get started. Jared, how are you feeling? Good. Very well. So a lot in crypto is talked about uh, in terms of the trilemma and solving the trilemma. Uh, the trilemma is decentralization, security, and uh, capacity to scale. Uh, and the issue with the trilemma uh, that people state is that you can solve two of these things, but you cannot solve three of them. And there's currently a race happening in crypto where all the L1s are essentially trying to solve the trilemma. They're trying to get all three of these things to work. Uh, and the idea is that the first one that gets there will win. I think uh, when we actually unpack what is necessary out of a working blockchain, there are more than three things. Uh, we're actually counting seven things uh, that we're going to go through now. So uh, what does the world actually need from blockchains? Uh, so starting with three that we essentially already have and already see with not all chains, but many chains. Uh, number one, decentralization. We, we have it. Security. We have it. Uh, robustness and reliability. Again, we have it. Again, all these things, not from every single chain, but there are chains. If we think about Ethereum, for example, that have all three of these things. Um, what does the world need from blockchains that we do not currently have? So we need the capacity to scale infinitely, which I think is the part of the trilemma that most L1s are really trying hard to solve at this time. Uh, but th that is not enough. Uh, we also need a fast time to finality. So if it takes 40 minutes to um, settle a trade, or if it takes 12 to 16 seconds to settle a trade, this is way too long for many, many applications. So a fast time to finality, I think is crucial uh, to getting blockchains to be adopted widely. Uh, we need the capacity for a protocol to define its own parameters. So there's a lot of different companies out there or different protocols or different wannabe protocols that are not going to come to the blockchain if they're not able to manage the underlying um, parameters of how their protocol is going to work on the chain. Uh, so they're going to need control of what's happening. Uh, and finally, we need good UX when transacting. So we need uh, a wallet or a way to interact with the blockchain that is seamless and that anyone that's a, let's call, let's call them civilians, uh, can use. Currently, we do not have that. So this is our case for Avalanche, I think Avalanche is uh, currently trying to develop all seven of these things, uh, and they are making large strides to get there. Uh, Jared, what do you think? Uh, I definitely think so. I think Avalanche is on its way to kind of being at the, uh, the top rank of tech when it comes to kind of blockchains and smart contracts and whatever you can do on a blockchain um, and how well you can do it. So maybe we can go one by one through uh, all seven of these things. Um, do you want to talk about decentralization yep. first? Something that we, we do see that we have. I think we have it with Avalanche. I think we have it with Ethereum. 
Well, first, I, I do actually want to talk about the idea of the trilemma to begin with, right? I think it was theorized at a time when blockchains were very new. So at the time, probably these were the most important topics in the present moment, right? Because what they were working with was very far from what we have now, like even for Ethereum. You know, they didn't have DeFi at the time. They didn't have the ability to have actual companies come on the blockchain for specific use cases mm -hmm. and bring a lot of money and utility with them. So um, I think it was it was an important start, but I don't think that is kind of the ultimate target. I think there's more than that, and we're seeing more here now that we have kind of zoomed out view. And I think what's impressive about Avalanche uh, and Emin Gunsirer is that they've obviously uh, zoomed into this and figured out the right things to solve, uh, and they go much further in solving these things than uh, the trilemma. And if we're looking at what the, uh, Ethereum is doing, which is Avalanche's most fierce competitor, obviously, uh, they really seem to be still focused on this idea of solving the tri trilemma. And they're not trying to solve all the problems that need to be solved for a blockchain to be usable by the public at large, whereas Avalanche is actually doing that. Yeah. So I guess we can start off with uh, the first one of decentralization. I think this is the first thing that a blockchain can easily achieve um, because the basic way that a blockchain works is you need multiple people to run nodes in order to validate transactions and blocks to make it run to begin with. As long as you have a decent distribution of whether it's nodes or miners or validators, I don't think decentralization is, a, is an issue. In the major working blockchains. I, I would say that it, it is an issue for many, many <laughs> L2s and, and actually quite a few L1s as well. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> potentially. I mean, uh, of course I'm talking about like, you know, real projects here. I'm not talking about scams. Uh, uh, so under the topic of security, the main thing that you would be concerned about is for example, a 51% attack in most cases, right? Where whether it's mining or staking, uh, if someone has accumulated more than 50% of the, let's say, miners on a network, they can start to rewrite transactions. You know, let's say one block after the other, the capacity to take transactions and then rewrite them on their own. This also is, a is I wouldn't say, is much of an issue right now because uh, it's very hard for one person or one entity to gain 51% or more of um, an entire blockchain. It would be too expensive for it to be reasonable. Um, and in the case of Avalanche, they actually have a better than 51% resiliency against this, right? Because of the way the gossip protocol works. I don't remember the specific percentage, but it's more than 50%. Um, when it comes to security, there are a few other things to be kind of concerned about. Um, the main the main thing that I'm talking about here when we talk about security is the is the uh, security of the blockchain itself, right? Um, not necessarily talking about dApps or, you know, bridges or different things like that, because you know those those are those are not really on the level of the blockchain. So let's talk about robustness, reliability. Um, a real L1 chain should not go down. It's just that simple. Uh, it should be reliable. It should work at all times. Uh, and uh, I think this is mostly a solved problem for most L1s, not all L1s. Yeah, we don't see most uh, blockchains having any issues with downtime. 
Yeah, so why don't we talk about what the world needs from blockchains that it does not have from most blockchains. It actually does have it from some, like Avalanche. Uh, not all these points are solved, but I think they're in the process of being solved. So let's start with capacity to scale uh, infinitely. Jared, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, sure. Um, so as it stands, the, the main Avalanche blockchain is actually comprised of three different parts. You have um, the C chain, the X chain, and the P chain. C-Chain is basically running the uh, Ethereum EVM. It is where all of uh, DeFi is happening. This is where all of the you know, smart contracts are, are going on. And you know this is where most of the um, transactions for Avalanche are happening at the moment. But the ability to create subnets is where the, the huge advantage of Avalanche comes in because you can create these different fully functioning blockchains that run on Avalanche that are fully interactable with the chain, but they can do all of their own processes. So it becomes like one network that can speak to each other. Uh, and when you need more scale, you just keep adding subnets. Uh, I think my understanding is that the theoretical limit to scaling for uh, a subnet architecture is essentially infinite. So the subnets work really well with each other uh, and they work well with the other parts of the architecture, uh, I, I think offers infinite scalability. So um, the reason why we prefer this subnet architecture to an L2 architecture uh, is that first of all, it is one chain. So you're not looking at different people different, building different protocols on top of one another that may or may not work well with each other and they that may have um, divergent interests in the future, right? So. If you're building an L2 on top of Ethereum, for example, well, why not develop your own L1? And I think we've already seen some L2s um, going in that direction. So this has the potential of getting really, really messy uh, and to not work well together. Like these pieces may or may not work well together. You're going to have to bridge. The bridge is going to be a third party bridge. On top of that, it, it creates a sort of a massive security risk uh, where the L2 has the capacity to front run anyone doing transactions on the L2 uh, and like the roll-up people can front run everyone under a roll-up. I think the key yeah. point here, I think the key point here for Avalanche is the fact that um, subnets working not just with the blockchain of Avalanche, but with each other can create a huge capacity for this kind of web of interconnectivity where instead of even needing to use the main chain of Avalanche to, you know, let's say bridge or to verify something or to use it for security or whatever like is happening on Ethereum, you know, you can you can do one thing on one subnet and then use multiple other subnets to do another thing, you know? Yeah. So they're all working together, but in a coherent manner. They're all working together with Avalanche, whereas the other solutions, you know, with Ethereum and rollups, Ethereum is doing its own thing. All of the rollups are doing their own thing. They need to use Ethereum to validate their, uh, their blocks every now and then. And you know, nobody knows how that is going to play out in the future. So let's talk about time to finality. Uh, in a somewhat recent interview, uh, Vitalik said that uh, the Ethereum time to finality is going to move from 12 seconds to 16 seconds. Um, whereas the gossip protocol that Avalanche has um, created and uh, innovated upon uh, is sub one second. 
if you go to a TradFi world and you tell them that uh, they're going to have 16 second time to finality to do transactions, um, I, I don't believe that they will find this acceptable. Uh, so the, the world may move to blockchains, but the world is unlikely to move to blockchains if that solution is underwhelming in its capacity to move transactions through at a, at a reasonable amount of time. 16 seconds may seem like a short amount of time, but it actually is an eternity uh, in terms of trading time. I would just add the point that 16 seconds to finality for Ethereum is assuming that there's no congestion of blocks, right? And one of the issues with this with this long time to finality is that there's a lot of protocols uh, and tools that, that will just not be built uh, because they just cannot be built upon this uh, architecture. And a good example of that is um, central limit uh, order book, like what Dexlot is, is building. Uh, not possible to build, uh, I don't believe, on something that has 16 seconds to finality. So let's move to uh, the capacity for a protocol that is building a tool or a product on the blockchain to control their own parameters. As it works now, this isn't even something that anyone else, as far as I'm aware, has even considered, right? With the the subnet system, you're actually able to define specific parameters that will allow you to, for example, work in KYC. You know, some companies or businesses trying to build on the blockchain, this is a make or break scenario. Let me provide a different example. If you're building a game and you're investing millions of dollars into your game um, architecture and building your community and bringing them online, uh, you're going to want an insurance that once you have built this, uh, it is going to remain. Uh, so you're going to be very tempted to build your own L1 so that you can control uh, your, your environment. But building your own L1 is a massive undertaking that no one really wants to do. So having this uh, capacity to create subnets that the, the protocols actually own. So the capacity to define your protocols parameters and to really own that subnet or that blockchain because a subnet is a blockchain uh, is I think key for anyone building a large scale product in, in the blockchain world. And Avalanche really is the leading uh, L1 that is doing this. Uh, and I think they're doing it in a way that is much smarter than, than anyone else. Uh, and it's a bit of a no-brainer. So if you build your own L1, then you need to build a bridge to Ethereum. You need to build a bridge to Phantom. You need to build a bridge to Solana. You need to, you know, it, it isn't, you're not done. But the idea of having your own subnet, currently you still have to uh, work with outside bridge providers, but I, I think this is temporary. Uh, soon you're going to spin up your own subnet and you're going to be plugged in to the rest of Avalanche and you're going to own that subnet. Uh, this is really key for anyone who is investing in a project. Uh, no one investing in projects wants to be to have their fate dictated by other people. Uh, you want to own your space. And this is something that's, like Jared said, never talked about, but extremely key. Right. So let, maybe we can move on well to um, having a good UX, which is also not talked about very often, but incredibly key. Uh, if we want to onboard people who are not crypto native to this ecosystem, uh, it needs to be really, really seamless and really easy to use. I think much like we were talking about the, the trilemma being kind of the only target back then when MetaMask came around, um, 
the idea of having like a really nice seamless UX was not really considered because, you know, what's the point? Like there's nothing to have a good UX for, right? And MetaMask was a good improvement, but now that we're looking at getting faster times, interacting with games, doing trades, we're working with like a rotary phone when we're trying to, you know, use an app on your smartphone. I think MetaMask has kind of outlived its usefulness. And if they want to uh, get with the times, they need to make a huge improvement to how their system works. But the problem is that they're building their system for Ethereum. And maybe in order for it to work with Ethereum, it needs to be the way that it is. Um, if you want, you can talk about the, the coming Avalanche core project and what improvements we're going to see. So there. Avalanche is building out the core wallet, which uh, the promise uh, is that it will work seamlessly with uh, subnets. So a cleaner UX. Uh, my personal hope is that uh, there will be a good mobile application that will work really, really well with third-party providers. So this would be the holy grail if we're able to have a wallet uh, that works with Visa. Uh, and I can go to Starbucks and I can use my AVAX or I can use my btc.b um, to buy a coffee uh, seamlessly. This would be, uh, I, I think, what creates a, an environment where blockchains really win. And that, that's the last point, right? So having a good UX uh, when transacting, uh, but also having the capacity to talk to the rest of the world with uh, your blockchain assets. I think, I think maybe we can end... Uh, the podcast by just just addressing one more factor that is much more qualitative, um, which is the team behind the project. And there is no doubt that a lot of the L1s have very strong dev teams uh, and technical teams. But a good team is, is not just technically savvy. It is also run correctly in terms of leadership. Uh, and it also has a vision uh, that uh, is clear and that is being uh, worked on and delivered on on a daily basis where timelines are respected. Uh, and this is something that I believe is a strength for the Avalanche team. Uh, when they say they're going to do something, they seem to be delivering on time uh, and they seem to be making the right move uh, in terms of marketing, in terms of budgets to uh, specific parts of the blockchain, whether that would be uh, NFTs or gaming or DeFi. Uh, so we've seen these programs come out. We've seen them come out at the right time uh, and we've seen them executed generally correctly. Um, nothing is perfect, but this seems to be a team that is not run by a committee, that is run by uh, a strong vision from a strong founder um, that is, as far as I can tell, ultra qualified to do this. Uh, so on this note, uh, please let us know what you think of this analysis. Did we forget anything? Do you disagree? Are we making any errors? Uh, let us know in the comments on Twitter, anywhere else. And please follow us um, in all the places. Um, makes Jared very happy. He calls me all the time and very tells me so. that we have one more subscriber. Um, so make Jared happy and subscribe. Thanks. Ciao. Thanks.